Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for the first live showreel for 2020, which is very exciting. And what we're going to be talking about is uh, the Transition Film Festival, which has come around again, uh, a film festival for a better future. And it starts February the 20th, uh, that's a Thursday, and goes to March the 6th. It's going to be at a variety of uh, venues, but mainly at the Nova in Carlton. There's a couple of other pretty interesting things, like on February the 24th, at 6.30 at the Loop Bar, which is in the city, there's going to be VR for change, virtual reality for change. That's a pretty interesting concept. Um, also, you might want to know that uh, up in uh, Northcote, the uh, the uh, film house up there has also gone out into the VR world, but we'll follow that up. But this we're talking Transition Film Festival here. And so the Loop Bar on February the 24th for the virtual reality uh, experience for change. Uh, there's also going to be a screening of Anote's Arc, February the 25th, 7pm at the Asta. And there's going to be some shorts, impact shorts, and uh, a, um, a feature from France at the Brunswick Mechanics Institute, Wednesday, February the 26th, starting at 5.30 with the feature at 7. So mainly Transition Film Festival at the Nova. And today we're going to be talking about an incredibly interesting and important film for Australians, When the River Runs Dry. Uh, It's an exploration into the Murray-Darling Basin debacle. And uh, we get to speak to uh, Rory McLeod, who's the uh, uh, filmmaker, and his father, who's actually the researcher. So it's a collaboration, Peter. And uh, so let's uh, start with uh, a little bit of that chat I had with them. All right, so this is uh, for you, Rory. Uh, As I was saying to you, I noticed that... uh, your background is obviously as a DOP and a cameraman and as a director, and you've quite specifically looked at, uh, you know, uh, filming wildlife as well as uh, documentaries in general and done a bit of feature work. How did you meld your skills and how did you get to be part of this project in the first place? How we melded our skills is by going about this documentary in, in quite a different way to how you normally do these things. And um, how we did that was 
we essentially decided that we had to deal with this issue on the, on one day when we heard about the fish kill. Uh, we decided that we had to go and do something about it. Um, so Peter's actually my father. So it's very easy for us to get together and work on something. And Peter has skills as a researcher. Um, and so he's able to get across the political aspects really well. So what we did is we jumped in the car and we headed up to Menindee. And I assumed the role of director of photography, um, sound, um, and he, he must assume the role of um, director in the field because he had the knowledge, he had a lot more knowledge about the political aspects of the issue. And that's how he worked out in the field. And then when it came to post-production, we really needed to make sure that the vision remained clear. And because of my knowledge in filmmaking, that sort of fell to me to do that. Yeah, because uh, uh, as I said to you when I asked for this interview, I've done some in, uh, interview work with people around this particular issue and uh, I take my hat off to you guys for actually doing the work because it's such a valuable piece of work that you've done. Uh, what I couldn't get over was how uh, elegant the presentation of the very complex elements are in this film. Uh, tell me about how you kept an eye on uh, the visuals carrying this complex story. Um, well, I was really able to focus on the visuals because I had Peter focusing on the story went out there. And for me, it was really important to... Um, capture the landscape and the people speaking in a way that was truthful and honest to to what we were trying to to the story we were trying to tell. So I believe that's how we made that possible. I noticed that. Uh, well, I suppose Peter I, and maybe both both of you might have something to say about this. But you've decided to start the story with the uh, First Nations people's connection to land. Can you tell us about why you've done that? Well, really, that's where it started. Um, you know, we've both lived in Central Australia, you know, for big parts of our lives. And I work with Indigenous people on land and resource management in my day job. And, um, you know, knowing when, you, when we heard about the fish kills last year, the first thing that came to mind was, it's not just fish that are dying here. You know, what's this doing to, you know, the indigenous people who identify so closely with that river? And so it was a, and also the sense that the media was totally ignoring the impact of that on indigenous people. They just did not have a voice, and um, that just seemed so wrong. So the obvious thing for us was to go out there and and um, document that. Well, your, your um, actual, I found it really fascinating, the people that you got to speak to. How did you get to, uh, to talk to those people? Did you think to yourself, well, the uh, Indigenous people uh, element is, uh, cannot be understated? Uh, I mean, as they're saying, um, if there's no Barker, then there's no them. 
as it were. And it's really the uh, cornerstone of the difference between Western views of resources and Indigenous people's understanding of uh, connection to land. Uh, so that's a very important element in your film. Yes, I mean, you've, you've really got a clash. I mean, it's, it's more than a clash of cultures because even within our own Western culture, we don't all accept that um, the mighty dollar decides everything. But in this case, there's this deep and tragic conflict between those who would ignore and destroy the absolutely countless values that are out there on a river system without even talking about people it's beyond count and you know and all in the in the service of the noble act of growing cotton or providing shareholder value we're prepared to destroy an entire system an entire ecosystem it just seems yeah it's just an appalling um failure of governance really I actually came away from the film feeling like uh, they're killing the country. The country is dying. Yes, well, it's a, a fair thing to say that it's not just the Darling River. That is just one part of it, because we can look around. You know, if you come walk away from the rivers up there, and you'll see that the land's been cleared. When I was a kid growing up in that country, it was forest. Oh, really? Or open woodland, but now it's been cleared. And it's a different, different landscape. They clear it, and the the dust blows away. The dust blows away into the Pacific every year. And it's just yes, they're killing our country. And the uh, people that you spoke to was really was a really big range of people because you were talking about to horticulturalists, and you're talking about to farmers. They've also been cut out of the picture. Yeah, the. Um the, the club who get to benefit from the waters of the Darling River system uh, is, is a very small club. And uh, they're very well connected into you know, the National Party. And uh, the rules are tailored to their needs. So, you know, we heard a lot, particularly in the Four Corners documentary, we heard a lot about um, the, the few people who were caught breaking the rules. But yeah. what we didn't hear was that the rules themselves were broken. The rules were corrupted by, you know, political patronage for the benefit of a few at the cost of, you know, to everybody else. Yeah, and, and the thing... But I also... There was this uh, really interesting uh, attention to this idea of playing the river. They have no... Con this commercial enterprise uh, way of seeing the world has no concept of uh, how a river operates. It, it's, it's like it's, they think it's a machine. Uh, exactly. It's, it's so weird. The, the, the values down the river are of no consequence. The only thing that matters in that neoliberal world is the money that it makes for the right people. You've been showing the film to people uh, and uh, you must be beginning, getting a really visceral reaction. Can you tell well, me about people's reaction? 
we've only made, we've only shown it shown it to one person so far. So <laughs> we're very early on in that journey. Okay. Um, um, and, and the man we showed it to had to sort of rush off afterwards. He was speaking to a crowd, so he was happy with it. He thought he thought it was very good, but we didn't get a chance to really connect on on, on what he really what he really thought about it deeply. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not, a, it's not just very good. It's actually terrific because it's quite succinct. It's quite clear. And uh, what, that's what I, why I was asking you about the way you've uh, used imagery. and the, the, uh, it, There's no sentiment in this. It's quite clear. You know what I mean? It's, it works very well. All right, so this is uh, for you, Rory. Uh, as I... All right, so this is uh, for you, Rory. I uh, got a new song. It's, uh, it's a lament in the form of a lullaby. I don't want to sing the song alone, and, and I had the idea to launch it with a choir. And what... What better choir to launch it with than pub choir?
Kelly with his new song Sleep Australia Sleep and it's very pertinent to this particular conversation we're having with the filmmakers for uh, When the River Runs Dry, a film that's devoted to what's going on at the uh, Murray-Darling and uh, we'll finish our conversation with uh, Rory McLeod and Peter and uh, and then we'll perhaps uh, finish with... uh, uh, Mark Seymour's uh, song When the River Runs Dry If you want to see When the Win- River Runs Dry as part of the Transition Film Festival it's on on Saturday February the 22nd at 2pm at Nova Saturday February the 22nd 2pm at Nova uh, really worth seeing and it will really uh, get you uh, ready to fight the fight that has to be fought who are you hoping to get to see this? I know it's going to be at the Transition Film Festival and I encourage everybody to go and see it um, because uh, this isn't just a film. This is actually telling people, giving a war- telling people that the country's been killed and that, uh, I mean, I, I can't really understand why people aren't out with their pitchforks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of things we could be out with our pitchforks with four just at the moment, you know. <laughs> but they're all linked. They are all linked. Everything that's going wrong at the moment is actually the same problem. It's just different manifestations of it. Yeah, that's exactly we'd right. Very much, we'd very much like for everyone to see this film. <laughs> I think it's really yeah. important that everyone sees it. I think we see it. We see it as a political document, but we've really tried to be factual and, you know, we try, we really try not to be rah-rah about it and, you know, be political campaigners, but facts are necessary and, you know, very, very convincing when they're put in front of you. Uh, I'd also like, like to point out that one of the criticisms we received was that there were no bad guys that we talked about. Who were the bad guys? Um, and I, I have this, I have a bit of a problem with, talking about bad guys because at the end of the day people who we see is doing wrong to us are doing wrong maybe because they're not seeing the how it's hurting other people so they're not seeing that they're taking away other people's right to water or they're just looking after their own needs and even they're doing that legally as well often and it's really about communicating, you know, what's happened to, to these people downstream 
And that, that's what it was really about for us, I think. And I think I could add to that that, you know, there's actually there's quite a few small family farms that grow cotton and other irrigated crops. And generally speaking, they are not the problem. It is the vast corporate agricultural enterprises that are the problem. And it's the it's the um, the corporate interests in water, the people trading water at a you know, at a national level. And a lot of these people are actually not people, they're corporations. They are the superannuation companies of good people in North America. The teachers superannuation company um, trades Australian water and is thus implicated in all of this. Now, not one of those teachers would think this was a great thing. Not one of those teachers would know what their superannuation money is doing. And, you know, who of us is sure that our superannuation money in Australia isn't funding fossil fuel extraction and other activities that we would be appalled by? So, you know, that specifically isn't dealt with in the film, but that's the type of thing that we need to um, understand. You know, that corporations are artificial people, but they are psychopaths. They do not care about well, anything are, except the money. They aren't connected to the people that they could possibly affect. Um, so therefore, they, they aren't able to care. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I've just been doing a story about a similar thing. I mean, it's not the environment. It's actually about uh, massive casualisation through part-time contracts. Uh, and uh, the company would say, it's a multinational company, saying it, it, it actually says it in ca uh, careful, you know, dulcet tones, you know, re reasonable voice. Uh, a, res a responsible company's job is to reduce its uh, uh, labour costs and increase its profit. Yeah, which is effectively they see this as being uh, the only uh, avenue of uh, um, life. You know, it's the only thing that counts. However, of course, yeah. And, yeah. As on. a shareholder, as a shareholder, you look at that and you say, well, oh, increased profits, tick. They did well. I got what I wanted because you don't have to see or feel the pain of those people who have had their jobs turned into a gig economy and... Um, yeah, and, and are struggling to make ends meet. But it's a false thing, and your film in particular shows this because it's about the environment. It's about the actual heart of this dry continent and the uh, uh, very fragile and delicate balances that are at play and are actually too sophisticated for a capitalist neoliberal system to comprehend. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm probably saying more than... Uh, but not a very good interviewer when I answered my own question. <laughs> we'll take that as a statement. <laughs> yeah, but, but we don't disagree. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Do you think that there's... I mean, I know that it's real, this is a very important film uh, and, uh, and I know that uh, it's all very well for someone to make a film and then everybody forgets that it's happening. You are obviously taking it to the Transition Film Festival, but you have plans to uh, make it uh, have broader screenings? Yes, uh, we're putting it out uh, with Fantorf. They have the, the cinema release right uh, actually all over the world, I think. Mm. Um, and that, what that means is that if someone wants to show the film in their local cinema, they can get in contact with Fantorf. 
um, to get a showing of when the river runs dry. And from early from early March, they're available for oh, cinematic March, release. Yeah, yeah so um, and generally, what that means is that people have only have to sell fifty tickets. They don't have to pay anything. They just need to sell fifty tickets, uh, and Fanforce does all the work in terms of negotiating with the cinema and and getting the screening to go ahead. Yeah, it's a great it's a great so, idea. Yeah, it's fantastic. And also, there there are, there are other ways of getting screenings with Fanforce, such as um, community screens, and generally they just negotiate um, the lowest fee that they can manage to get it to happen, and and that's how they can be run as fundraisers and they can be run in places that don't have a cinema, you know, down at your local church or your local youth group or whatever. There's all sorts of things people can do through FanForce to, to get a screening in their area. Did you uh, have, uh, dare I ask, did you, have you had any interest from politicians who should be looking at this? No. Not that we're, probably a, we're small, probably small enough to have gone under the radar we haven't even heard any squeals out of the National Party yet, so clearly they don't even know we exist. But I think they're going to find out soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much for talking to me. Um, I uh, am incredibly impressed. It was such a tight little film, and it was so revealing of uh, a national travesty. I mean, that has to be dealt with. It can't be allowed to, to just fester. It has Something has to be done. Thank yeah, you for talking well, to me. Thank you very much. Good. Thank you for talking to us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Back to the rally. <laughs> What's the rally? Tell me about the rally. This is the, uh, re- this is the 4th of February return of Parliament um, climate change rally at Parliament House. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, and how's it going and who's speaking at it? Oh, uh, well, Bruce Shillingsworth, who was in the film, opened the rally. Yeah. Um, but there's been... It's been going all, all, actually it's been going all weekend, but we only arrived yesterday. Um, we had Zali Stegall talk about her private member's bill that she's going to be putting up on the 23rd of March, which is essentially to lock in, lock all future governments into a emissions reduction timetable, which is zero emissions by 2050, which many of us think is woefully inadequate, but we can always adjust that. At the moment, we can't even get politicians to stop playing games at all. So, Zali Stegall talked, Adam Bant and Larissa Waters. Oh, well, there you go. Adam Bant, Bant, the new New... Greens leader. Yes. Um, Mark Butler tried to talk, but he got howled down about um, Labour Party's... um, But that doesn't surprise me. ...rather inadequate Adani response and coal mining and so on. Um, Rebecca Sharkey. With, you know, uh, oh, and Helen Haynes from Indi. So yeah, there was a good collection of pollies got up and pledged their um, their commitment to to the cause. Not killing Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness, because <laughs> without allies in Parliament, we really are stuffed. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for talking to me. Yes. Bye. Okay. Bye. bye. Watching the world go by Man
pink love in the middle of a war zone. Yeah, you're never gonna die. Don't rock the boat. Keep your head down. You're just another fool in the crowd. Everybody knows you can be a winner. Come on and shout it out loud when the river runs dry. You will return to the scene of the crime when the river runs dry. You got the power, I got the money, another million miles to run. I'd cry, cry for the future, but I wouldn't get anything done. Relax, abandon ship. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.